0: Aha! Whoever you are, wherever you are, whenever it is, you're catching some brain waves Coming to you from the banks of the bloated with melted snow, St. Vrain River, in almost always sunny Longmont, Colorado, I am Ben Kolb. And if there were to ever be a contest for being awesome, there would be no contest because our co-host, Becky Peters, is so awesome. Becky, what is going on?
1: Nothing much. I'm just so excited to have this ship launched and to be helping thousands of listeners all over the world be informed, inspired, and connected.
0: Wow, your energy is amazing today. Did you switch conditioners or what's going on?
1: Oh, thanks for noticing. Yeah, no, no. I actually, I tried something new with my breakfast this morning. I had a piping hot mug of... Feedback. You didn't expect me to say that, did you? Because you know what they say feedback is the breakfast of champions.
0: Mm, Hot, warm feedback. Drink it up, teachers. It always goes down smooth. Actually, it doesn't. It doesn't sit well with a lot of people, huh?
1: Yeah, totally. That's why I'm so excited for our guest today. Her name is Kim Scott, and she's radically changed how I view feedback. She's the author of the New York Times bestseller Radical Candor, and we'll get to her interview in just a few minutes.
0: I totally agree, Becky. Kim's book, Radical Candor, completely changed how I view feedback. I think before I read it, you could describe me as a delicate snowflake millennial who was crushed by feedback, and now I really crave it. So I cannot wait for our listeners to hear and have their worldview shook as well.
1: Yeah, me too. And and teaching is such a unique profession because teachers not only have to be skilled at giving feedback to their students, to their peers, to their administration, but they also have to become really adept at learning from the feedback that they receive from all of those audiences too. So we think this episode is going to be really useful to all of our teacher listeners uh, and indeed everybody. But Ben, feedback's also really important to us and to our show. And some of the feedback I've heard from our subscribers is that they love the tangible, actionable advice. So let's start with some of our favorite feedback hacks. How do we we make giving feedback to our students uh, or to our peers more streamlined and efficient?
0: Yeah, nothing more important than feedback. But the question is, how do we do it well and still have a work-life balance, right? Our middle and high school teachers might have 130 or 150 students that they have to give feedback to. And that is overwhelming. And our elementary school teachers might have 25 or to 35 students, but they have to give them feedback about every single subject, not just writing or not just math. And so, This hack, I really hope, will help you and will be something that that you can try. And so we heard in our last episode that Elizabeth Green really believes, and I believe as well, that student errors or misconceptions can be predicted and that they are the same for kids all over the place. And so she tells the cool story about math students across a continent with an ocean between them falling into the same errors and having the same misconceptions about a problem. And so... My first hack is, as you sit down with student work in any subject, start to think in your mind about what are the errors or misconceptions that they are going to have, and try to whittle it down to two, three, or four problems or misconceptions that they're going to have. And take five minutes using QuickTime on your computer or using screen recording on your iPad and create a little teaching video about that misconception. Then as you sit down with your classwork and you start to find those errors and mistakes in the student work, make a note on that student's work of which video they need to see to fix that problem. And so I would have my class list right up next to me. So let's use the example of just language arts and they wrote a paper and you know ahead of time just based on what you know about these students is that they're going to struggle with their thesis statement being clear, they're not going to have transition statements and then their conclusion isn't going to relate back and tie into their thesis. So you just take a few minutes to make a reteaching video about those three topics. And then as you find it in their work, you write down next to that student's name on your class list which video they need to see. So I get to A, I get to Adam, And I see his thesis statement needs work. So on my class list, I write a T and then I get to Brett and his conclusion is rough. And so I put a C. And then when I'm all done with the, the entire stack of student work, I hop onto my class management, whether it's Schoology or Edmodo or Google Classroom. And I assign them the specific video that addresses the mistake that I saw in their work. So each student has feedback specific to their issue. It's not a blanket flipped video that everyone sees. You only see the video for the problem that you had. And I would even, as I'm recording those screencasts, I would even start off with something like, hey, fourth period, I love seeing your work. I noticed, in general, your conclusion statements could use some, um, some careful detail. And so I would even maybe show a couple good examples or some examples that need some work. And I just think that when students get feedback tied to directly to their mistakes, that that can be really powerful. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Becky, what say you?
1: That's a really cool idea. Uh, and mine's pretty kind of similar, uh, the next one, but it's it's a little nerdy and complex, but we'll link how-to videos in show notes uh, at framewaves.com But Google Forms can actually let you create a test or a quiz uh, where students can see different content based on their answer. So you can turn it into an adaptive uh, response assessment. So let's say you have math problems in a Google Form. When a student chooses the wrong answer, you can have each specific wrong answer linked to a page with a little blurb like, you know, remember this when you're fa- factoring polynomials. Uh, or you can even have it pop up to a video of you explaining the right answer or even another student's explanation video of the right answer. This, again, requires you to predict the common misconceptions, but it's a great way for instantaneous, just-in-time feedback.
0: Yeah, I think that's awesome. And Most people, including myself, used to think of Google Forms just as a a test, but now that it's almost like a a choose-your-own-adventure, you can use it to help give feedback to students. I think that's amazing. And it kind of reminds me, Becky, did I ever tell you what my nickname was in high school? No, I don't think so. I mean, a lot of people, and you could start calling me it or whatever, they, they just called me alpha. Um, I guess I was like an alpha male, just a lot of testosterone from the push-ups, just yeah. a real football guy. There's,
1: there's no way that that's true.
0: <laughs> okay, it's not true. I was at a lot of football games, though, because I was in the marching band. So Aww. kind of pretty similar, I guess. But one of the coolest things that happened in marching band... And I can't believe I just said that. My credibility is just gone. But the coolest <laughs> feedback I ever had really in my life was in marching band. And so you would go to these big competitions and play in these big stadiums. And they had four or five judges who would walk around on the field as your your band was playing and doing your show. And so They would be walking in between different lines and formations and they had a little tape recorder. And so as you were playing, they were walking up and noticing things and they would say stuff like, the fourth trumpet in on the right in this line is totally out of step. Or um, the flute at the front of this formation is totally out of tune and playing the wrong rhythm on this part. Whoa. And so then as, as a band, we would get together and we would listen to uh, the feedback together as a band. And it was just amazing that it was perfectly timed up with what we had done. And so you could hear in the music where you were and then what mistakes were being made and it totally helped me get better. And so I think I've actually tried something like this when I was teaching social studies during student presentations was I would just sit at the very back of the classroom with one earbud in or my phone really close to my face and I would just make noticings during a student presentation like, I really like your slide here or Um, you have too many words on here, you're reading from the slide here, you're not making great eye contact, How or praising them for the good things that they did. And now that I think we can um, have unlimited Google Drive storage of videos and stuff like that, you could take this to the next level in filming a student presentation and then have your earbud in your ear and be giving comments right along with that video. And I think... um, That would just be awesome. As the next group is getting mirrored up and hooked into the projector, you just upload the video or the audio feedback right to, you know, the student via Schoology, Edmodo, or email it to them. So I think that could be a really neat way to give some feedback.
1: Huh, that's, that's a really cool idea. And I've I've seen a lot of awesome ways that teachers have used Schoology, too, now that you mentioned it, um, which is our learning management system. But so as we hear in this interview with Kim, feedback is really best when it's given in person. So all of those hacks are amazing. But another hack to think about would be um, how you can clone yourself through video. I'm stealing that term from uh, Jenny McGuera, who you might know, and we're going to talk with in a future episode. So look for that. Uh, or you can think about how to curate other great educational videos, podcasts, and readings so that you can free up your time to conference face to face with your kids every day. That is going to be the most powerful time that you can give feedback. So take the time to create awesome projects and have your kids do that learning interdependently with each other so that you have time for those one-on-one conversations. And we know it takes up time to work to set up those stations and create projects for students, but that time will be repaid a million times over in student growth when you give them feedback in person. And then uh, the last one, I this is kind of for all of us in looking in feedback for ourselves, uh, never underestimate the importance of videotape. Athletes watch their top performances, top speakers watch their keynotes, all in an effort to better understand their external behaviors. So often we think we sound or act one way, but sometimes it comes off completely differently. So don't be afraid to give yourself feedback by taping yourself while you teach and watch for areas of improvement. One of the most effective things that my teacher prep program did for me was make me watch myself teaching, which was horrifying at first, but it really helped me to recognize my own blind spots in a way that internal reflection or even hearing from other people could never do. So that was out of our heads into the classroom. We hope that you
0: walk away from that section with some tangible ways that can help you give more effective feedback to your students. But to help us all be better with feedback, we present to you the woman, the myth, the legend herself, Kim Scott She wrote the Wall Street Journal and New York Times bestseller, Radical Candor, that Becky and I have been raving about. Before she started around this Radical Candor path, she led AdSense, YouTube, and DoubleClick online sales for Google. And she actually developed leadership courses for Apple to train their leaders, which anytime you're training the leaders of one of the best companies in the world, that is amazing. She's been a CEO and a coach at Dropbox, Twitter, she has an MBA from Harvard and her BA from Princeton, and she ran a diamond cutting factory in Moscow. She's really the most interesting woman in the world, and we cannot wait for you to learn from her. So here she is, Kim Scott. So we will start with your bio, which we have, and it's going to take us like 20 minutes to read, so we won't do that now. <laughs> but I know I've been having people tell me to read your book for at least four months, Radical Candor, and I held off on reading it because the subtitle read, Be a Kick-Ass Boss, and I'm not a boss. And so I was like, I don't know if this will really apply to me. And I can't think of a more relevant book to what I do than Radical Candor. So can you tell us a little bit uh, about how the book's uh, been received and what other people are saying about it?
2: Yeah. What, one of my favorite comments that somebody made about the book was, this is not a book about how to be a great boss. This is a book about how to be a good human being. Yes. Um, and and that's true. I mean, I, I tend to focus most of the. I, I tried to write the book like a book of short stories, not like a management book. And because my career has been in in, in business, mostly as a manager, or leader of a team, I that that was kind of the hook into the book. But uh, so many people who have read the book, uh, ranging from educational leaders to religious leaders to nonprofit leaders have said that the basic principles in the book apply to them uh, as much as to any any manager in a company and and that's been really that's been very gratifying to see because i did try to write a book that would help anybody uh, it's i mean there's also probably a book on on parenting uh, oh yeah <laughs> Uh, that, that, that is, uh, and in fact, my kids have said they think there's a book on how to say no to your parents. I got a long (laughs) discussion with my son about that the other day, who's nine.
1: Wow. Oh, so can you tell our listeners for, for those of us that, um, those of our listeners that haven't read it yet, what is radical candor and why is it important?
2: Radical candor is the ability to challenge someone directly in a way that shows them that you care personally about them. And really what radical candor is about is how to collaborate effectively with a group of people, no matter what your goal is. And so so the, the, the thing that makes radical candor so rare is the frequency with which we fail on one dimension or another. When we fail to show that we care personally about someone, but we do challenge them directly, we, we wind up uh, in the quadrant I call obnoxious aggression. And when I first started writing the book, I called this the whole quadrant. <laughs> uh, and I, I quit doing that for a very specific and important reason. When I did that, people immediately would use this two-by-two framework to start writing names in boxes. But I tell you, don't use radical candor in that way. These are not personality types. These are mistakes that we all make when we're working with other people to try to teach them something or to, to get some work done. So you obviously, there's a big difference between radical candor and obnoxious aggression. Radical candor is not licensed to be a jerk. It's about showing people that you care about their growth when you tell them that they made a mistake or when you give them praise. It's also not just about criticism. It's about praise. Now, it's fun to tell stories about obnoxious aggression. But in fact, the mistake that most of us make more than any other mistake is what I call ruinous empathy. Totally. Yeah. And that's where we do so care about the other person and the other person's feelings that we fail to tell them something that they really need to know.
0: And that is 100% me. And I always justified it. I liked the term people pleaser. And I'm like, yeah, I care about people. I'm a people pleaser. But ruinous empathy, I'm ruining something by doing that. And one of my favorite stories you have about ruinous empathy, and I think one of the reasons your book is effective is it's all story-based, is with your former, uh, you or his manager, Bob. Can you tell us about him and how ruinous empathy really was the worst point in your career?
2: Yeah, it was really one of the, really one of the worst the low, probably the low point of my whole career so i talking tra-
0: to us is the high point in my career <laughs> <laughs> high points Good.
2: Firing bob was the low point okay. <laughs> so so bob was not bob was not this person's real name but let's call him bob so i had i had hired bob and i really liked bob he was smart he was charming he was funny he would do stuff like one time we were at an uh, an off site And we were playing one of those endless get-to-know-you games, and we were all busy, and we all wanted to get home to our families, but nobody dared say it. Finally, Bob Bob was the guy who was brave enough to raise his hand and say, I've got a great idea, and it'll be really fast. And so whatever it was, we were willing to do it. So Bob said, let's just go around the table and confess what candy our parents used when potty training us. <laughs> weird, weird, but fast. We were yeah. all willing to do it. And uh, and then for the next 10 months, every time there was a tense moment in a meeting, Bob would whip out just the right piece of candy for the right person at the right time.
1: Wow. <laughs> Stop it.
2: Yeah, it was very funny. So we liked Bob. He was yeah. He was charming. The problem. There was only one problem with Bob. He was doing terrible work. Absolutely terrible work. In fact, he uh, he would hand stuff into me, and there would be shame in his eyes. He knew, I think, that that his work was not nearly good enough. But because I liked Bob, and I didn't want to hurt his feelings, and. To be to to be a little bit harsher on myself, it wasn't pure ruinous empathy that I didn't tell Bob his work wasn't nearly good enough. There was also a little bit of manipulative insincerity mixed in because, you know, Bob was popular on the team. Everybody liked Bob. I was worried if I told Bob his work wasn't nearly good enough, it would upset him and he would start to cry or something. And then everybody would think I was a total jerk. Right. And, and I didn't want that reputation. And, and so partly because I cared about Bob, but also partly because I wanted to be liked. I didn't tell Bob, by the way, the desire to be liked is the path to hell for a leader. But anyway, the, so for these two reasons, I didn't ever tell Bob that his work wasn't nearly good enough. I would just say stuff like, oh, Bob, you're so smart. We love working with you. This is a great start. Maybe you can make it a little better. And of course, he never did. And because he never did, uh, the burden of fixing his work fell on the rest of the team. And after about 10 months of this, the inevitable happened. And I realized that if I didn't, if I didn't fire Bob, I was going to lose half my team. Mm-hmm. And so I sat down to have the conversation with Bob that I should have started 10 months previously and when I was finished explaining to him how things stood, he sort of pushed his chair back from the table. He looked me right in the eye and he said, why didn't you tell me?
1: Oof.
2: Yeah. And Just a that,
1: punch in the gut.
2: Yeah, yeah. And as that question is going around in my head with no good answer, he looks at me again and he says, why didn't anyone tell me? I thought you all cared about me.
1: Oh my God. Yeah.
0: And that's the part that hit me as a team member. Yeah. When am yeah. I not giving feedback yeah. to my the team who I do care about and I do like.
1: And I think, you know, like we were just talking about, the the applications to teachers and students in the classroom, I think are just they're on every single page of this book. So, you know, I think a lot of teachers, at least I came from a place of what ruinous empathy really sounds like, because I really wanted my students to succeed. So I would do a lot of work to help them do that, which is really Not the right way to approach it. So, I mean, I've started to draw my own conclusions about what radical candor might look like in a classroom. But I'm curious to hear your perspectives. What what should a teacher really be listening to um, from what radical candor can teach them?
2: You know, I had a teacher when I was when I was uh, in school. Sort of, she was she was the principal of my middle school, and then she also taught she taught uh, literature. Uh, Her name was Miss Pretty, and I, I can so remember the way that Miss Pretty would correct mistakes that that we made in in the classroom, but also I remember the the most vivid memory I have is we had just gotten out of there was some some uh, assembly, and I was walking up the stairs and I had a piece of paper in my hand and I just kind of threw it on the floor, <laughs> as kids do. And I'll never forget the way Miss pretty said with outrage, you know, Kim Malone, that was my name then. <laughs> um, but also with re- like, that is not how you, you know, that is not you, you are not the kind of kid that throws trash on the floor. And so it was sort of holding me to a particular standard. It was, it was I mean, I can still remember the feeling in my stomach of being, oh my God, she was because her voice was so strong, but then the way that she she was affectionate at the same time that she was unbelievably clear that it was totally unacceptable to throw a piece of trash on the floor. Um, and I, I, I think of, of that often. I hope, I hope I do that when, when teaching my kids things.
0: So it was quick in the moment critique of you. And that's one of the things you really encourage in Radical Candor is that don't let these things build up and have this huge grief fest, but do it at the moment. But can you talk us through what is the best way to give a critique? You talk about not having it be a poop sandwich. So if you could tell us about that as well, (laughs) and maybe even bring Belvedere into this. (laughs)
2: <laughs> absolutely one of the one of the key moments in my life happened and this is also the thing about radical candor is that sometimes people believe that radical candor has to be offered in these long therapy sessions, and it absolutely does not for me the The origin story of radical candor happened in the space of time it took a light to change on the streets of Manhattan. I had this puppy named named Belvedere as a little golden retriever puppy. And I adored her. I absolutely loved Belvedere. Because I loved her so much, I never spoke a cross word to her. And so she was totally out of control. And I was walking along. She jumped in front of a cab. I pulled her out of the way just in time. And I'm standing there on the street corner with my heart in my throat. And a man, a perfect stranger, looks at me. And he says, I can see you really love that dog. So that's all he has to do to show he cares personally. I can see you really love that dog. But then he says to me, but you're going to kill that dog if you don't teach her to sit. And then he says, sit. And she sat. <laughs> she had no idea. She didn't know what that meant. And, and I looked at him in amazement. And he said to me, it's not mean. It's clear. Yep. Oh, that's the life awesome. changed, and he left me with words to live by. It's not mean, it's clear. And that really helped me frame, it, these were ideas I had been thinking about for a long time, but it really helped me frame my thinking around this. So it's easy, it's easy when you hear these stories and you see the framework to kind of agree with it, but to, to go back to your question, like, what can you do? How do you put this into practice in a moment? Um, I think there are, there's an important order of operations here. And the first thing that you need to be able to do is to solicit criticism. Don't, don't dish it out until you prove you can take it. And this is, this is, uh, this is, I find this, I have twins who are nine and I find this difficult with them because they're pretty harsh in the way that they criticize me. And and so I, but but they often have a good point if I'm willing to listen. And I think we're, we're sort of programmed to believe that if we do solicit feedback from kids that somehow we'll lose our authority or our credibility. And this is a mistake that a lot of managers make too. They think they're not supposed to be criticized by the people who work for them, but you're not going to know what you're doing wrong. If you don't listen, you'll learn something if you do listen. And most importantly, soliciting feedback gives you the opportunity to lead by example, to show how feedback is a gift and, and you can, react to it when you agree with it by fixing a problem, or if you disagree with it, you can react to it with a fuller, respectful explanation of why you disagree. So the the place to start is not by offering criticism. The place to start is by soliciting criticism. And then the next thing that it's important to do is to focus on the good stuff. Give more praise than criticism. There now. This is very different from what is politely called the feedback sandwich, and <laughs> yeah. called something else. Um, but the the thing here is that a, a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that praise is the way you show you care, and criticism is the way that you challenge directly. Yep. But praise can challenge somebody directly just as much as criticism and criticism can show you care and should show you care as well as challenge directly. So when I talk about focusing on the good stuff, I'm talking about showing people the path through the trees. If you, if you go skiing and you're worried about hitting a tree, if you, if you focus too much on the tree, then you're more likely to hit it than if you focus on the path through the trees. So focusing on success, showing part of your job as a teacher or as a leader of any sort is to show what success looks like. The The Little League Coaching Alliance is really good about teaching coaches this to, to help these kids see what success looks like, see what it feels like, and and to really focus on the good things that, that happen throughout the day. I, I have been working with with an educator um, in in New Orleans who leads a, he leads a charter school in New Orleans, and he he has this amazing way of focusing. Even if a kid and he works with really at risk kids, and even if a kid curses at the teacher. 100 times in the day, uh, he teaches these teachers to notice that one time when maybe instead of cursing them 25 times a day, they only curse them 17 times a day, (laughs) praise them for their restraint. So if rather than rather than like, let's say you're working with a kid on being more honest. I, I think that one of the things that you can do is instead of pointing out every lie they tell, point out every truth. Every time they tell the truth that they don't and they didn't necessarily have to, uh, and that can be really, really powerful. I learned so much um, uh, from from Ben Markovitz uh, in in New Orleans on this. So focus on the good stuff. Focus on how you are praising people, remark and reward the good things that they do. And (laughs) having done that, having focused on, having solicited criticism, having focused on the good stuff, given a lot of praise, now you're ready to offer criticism. And again, both, all of these things are not things you need to calendar, you need to schedule. These are all sort of two minute conversations that you have in the course of the day. So it's free to roll it out. Doesn't cost any money. You can get the book from the library if you don't want to buy it. Although I would appreciate it if you do buy it. <laughs> uh, but but uh, it doesn't cost anything to roll it out. It doesn't take necessarily tons of extra time, but it does require great emotional discipline because these are these. You know, Miss Pretty when she saw me throw the piece of paper on the stairs, it would have been faster and easier for her just to bend down and pick it up. Yep but instead she took the time as she was walking up the stairs to talk to me and to talk to me in a particular way. And I think there's sort of an acronym that I use that can be helpful when you're offering criticism to people. One, and actually the acronym works for praise as well. It's you want to be humble. You may be wrong about what you're saying, and that's okay. You You don't have to be right every time. Feedback is a gift in one of two ways, either because you're right, and the person does need to fix something, or it's a gift because you're wrong about what you're saying, but the person can only correct your thinking if they know what you're thinking. And so that's that's why sort of offering it in the spirit of humility. Uh, it's not that, not that a critique should be viewed like a duel or anything like that, but if you challenge someone to a duel, uh, you you don't expect them to lie down and die. You expect them to to fight back. And that's true of criticism. Don't get upset if the person who you've criticized has, you know, has a different opinion than you do. That's okay. I think the other thing about offer, offering it in the spirit of humility is that this is why I didn't call call it truth or something like that. This is why I chose the word candor. Because there's not a lot of humility in the truth, right? If I say, I'm going to tell you the truth, mm. I'm kind of implying that I've got a pipeline to God and, and that's not like a great place for <laughs> a dialogue. Right. So, so you want to make sure that you are are humble when you offer either praise or criticism. You also want to make sure that you're being helpful. So... so you, you want to make sure that the person knows the reason why you're telling them that they got the answer wrong is that you you have confidence that they can get it right next time and you wanna help them learn. So so that's sort of and you want to take just a second to state your intention to be helpful. Because very often we're programmed to think that somebody's telling us something to kick us in the shins or prove they're smarter sounded like you had a thought.
0: Yeah. I just, you have a sentence starter that I've used like 10 times because it just helped me so much with regards to humbleness and all of that, where you say, I'm going to describe a problem I see. I might be wrong. And if I am, I hope you tell me. And if I'm not, I hope we can work together to fix it. That is just, it sounds so much better in my head to lead with that because you're doing it because you care about someone. And so I loved that. And I just love the whole mantra now that, feedback is a gift. And then the whole mind shift around praise is not just to build confidence in someone or make them like you more. It's, help, it's to help someone know what to do more of. So you blew my mind with all three of those things. So that's an amazing answer.
2: Oh, great. Well, thank you so much. And, and remember, as you're saying these things, there's a million different ways to say them. So make sure that you are using words that feel authentic, that feel like they're really you. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that that I that people really wanted me to do more of was give them language, and it's useful to see what other people say. But you want to make sure that you're ad- adopting, you, you understand the ideas, and using your own words. I think is really important. Uh, also, part of par- part of being being humble is is saying it in your own words. So, so I think another thing that's really important about radical canner is to, to do it immediately, right away, in these two-minute conversations. If you're trying to help somebody, there's no reason to delay. And you also want to have these conversations in person, uh, to the maximum extent possible in person. Anytime you're writing it down and delivering it to someone you don't have the opportunity to see how they are taking it. And over 80% of communication is nonverbal. So even though if you write something down, it feels like you can be much more precise, you can't adjust according to how they are feeling if you've just written it down. So in other words, if somebody is, if you say, if you say to somebody, you know, you got this problem wrong, And you can see that they're crushed, you know, (laughs) that they're like, oh, I'm terrible in math and I'll never get good in math. Now you have an opportunity to move up on the care personally dimension and to say, to reassure them that, that you do have confidence in their abilities overall and that you're there to help them get better and, and, you know, and and do whatever you need to do so that the discouragement isn't so intense. Anything you need to do other than saying, oh, it's no big deal that you missed this problem, because it is like they got the problem wrong and that is a problem, right? So you don't want to back off your challenge when you see that somebody is upset, but you do want to take those few moments to attend to the emotions. But what happens more often than not is not that someone gets upset, but that they just haven't heard. For some reason, your feedback. And you won't know that they're blowing your feedback off if you don't give it to them in person.
1: So Kim, I'm gonna ask you to paint a picture for me. I'm I'm trying to picture what this looks like in, you know, in a business or in a classroom where people are embodying radical candor and really practicing it and using it on a daily basis. And I'd love to hear just what like what does success look like? Like what do people get out of this? I don't I don't know if I've ever worked at a place that does this really well.
2: I mean, here's a simple story about a time when my boss criticized me. I had just started working at Google, and I had to give a presentation to the founders and the CEO of the company. I walked into the room, and there is Sergey Brin, one of the founders, on an elliptical trainer in toe shoes, and Eric Schmidt is doing his email, and he's so intently doing his email. It's like his, his brain you know, his brain has been attached to the computer. And so I'm, I thought, how in the world am I going to get these people's attention? Wow. Probably it's what it feels like into the classroom a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I felt a little bit nervous. And but luckily, the, the business that I was leading was on fire. And when I said how many new customers we had added, Eric almost falls off his chair. He's like, What did you say? (laughs) What do you need? Do you need more engineers? Do you need more marketing dollars? So I'm feeling like the the meeting went okay. In fact, I'm kind of feeling like a genius. (laughs) And so I walked out of the room at the end of the meeting past my boss, who is Cheryl Sandberg, and I'm expecting a high five or something. And instead she says, why don't you walk back to my office with me? I thought, okay, I'm sure I'm about to hear what it is. And Cheryl started by telling me about the things that had gone well in the meeting, not in a feedback sandwich kind of way, but, but genuinely giving me some specifics about things I, I didn't actually know had gone well. But of course, all I wanted to hear about was what I had done to screw up. And eventually, Cheryl said to me, you said I'm a lot in there. Were you aware of it? And for most people, their boss telling them that would have been enough but not for me. I'm a little stubborn. And so I kind of breathed a huge sigh of relief and I made a a literal brush off gesture with my hand. And I said, yeah, no, it's a verbal tick. It's no big deal. And so then, so now Cheryl can see I'm blowing her off and she can see it because we're having this conversation in person. And I, I make a literal brush off gesture. And then she says, so she goes a little further out on the challenge directly dimension. And she says, I know a really good speech coach. Google would pay for it. Would you like an introduction? Again, almost anybody else in my shoes would have gotten the hint, but I didn't. And and I kind of make this brush off gesture again with my hand. And I said, no, I'm busy. Didn't you hear about all those new customers? Who cares about the ums? You know, the business is on fire. At which point Cheryl stops. She looks right at me and she says, Kim when you say, um, every third word, it makes you sound stupid. Now he has my full attention. And there's a world of difference between saying when in the meeting, when you say, um, every third word, it makes you sound stupid and saying, Kim, you're stupid. You know? So she was following another precept of radical candor, which is don't make it about somebody's core personality attributes like follow situation, behavior, impact. Like on the test, when you don't show your work, I can't give you all the points or whatever. Uh, so so I think that was really important. And some people would would say it was mean of Cheryl to say I sounded stupid, but it was actually the kindest thing she could have done for me in the moment. Because if she hadn't said it to me just that way, I would not have gone to see the speech coach, and I would not have realized that Cheryl wasn't exaggerating. I really did say um, every third, every third word. And this was news to me, because I had been giving presentations my entire career. I had raised millions of dollars for startups giving presentations. I thought I was pretty good at it. And that really got me to thinking, why had nobody ever told me? It was like I had been going through my whole career with my fly down and nobody had had the common courtesy to say, hey, Kim, your fly is down. Wow. I could I could zip it up if I knew it was down, but I just didn't know.
0: Oh, that is amazing. I'm so glad you brought up the whole situation behavior impact because I think that is totally the way to give criticism and that's how I'm trying to hype myself up for it. But I'd love to drill down a little bit on your response to Sheryl Sandberg brushing her off. I mean, she's no big deal, right? But what is it that makes us better at receiving and learning from feedback? Because that it seems like feedback is a two-way street. There's learning to give crit- critique and praise, but then it's also learning from it. So how have you grown in that and how do you coach others to learn from the feedback they
2: receive? Yeah, it's really important. I mean, I think the first thing to do is to practice asking for it because if you get feedback when you're asking for it you're more mentally prepared so and then you begin to develop the muscle of responding well so the first thing to do is to come up with a go to question like what is the question that you're going to ask somebody when you realize you need to get some get some feedback from them so one of the questions that that a coach suggested I use was is there anything I could or not? Is there any? What could I do or stop doing that would make it easier to work with me? Now, again, I said before, it's important to choose your own words for this stuff. I was working with another uh, another CEO with Crystal Quarles, who said, "I could never ask that question. I just can't imagine those words coming out of my mouth." The word, the question I like to ask is, "Tell me why I'm smoking crack." <laughs> so probably not the question you want to use in a classroom, but
0: no,
2: no, no. Uh, but but the point is the point here is that there's a lot of different ways to say tell me tell me what I'm doing wrong. I I the, one of the most important things that you can do for me is to let me know when I'm making a mistake, and and. Because that's only going to help me get better. So first you want to have your go-to question. And if you do nothing else listening to this podcast other than just come up with your go-to question, it will have been a good use of your time. But if you can do more, here are the other things you should do. Once you've asked your question, you've got to be willing to embrace the discomfort. Mm. I I spent a lot of my career believing that if I just made people comfortable enough, they would tell me what they really thought. But that's not true. The thing that makes people comfortable is not telling you what they really think, especially if you have some power over them, if you're their teacher, if you're their manager. And so the thing that you've got to do is embrace the discomfort. And some companies have gone to great lengths to, to do this. Toyota, for example, because Japan is a culture... Uh, in which people are very reluctant to challenge authority they would at the end of the assembly line they would paint a big red box and they they made employees go and stand in the red box after their first week on the job and they weren't allowed to leave the red box until they had criticized three things they saw on the line that week so that's an extreme example I never painted a red box around my desk, but but I but I did learn simply to shut my mouth down to six.
1: Hello. See. (laughs) Oh my god! Oh, you
0: were silent. You were coming to six.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I did not catch that. Never fails. People will tell you something if you six seconds of silence is a long time. Wow. Uh, and, I, and that wasn't even six seconds. So it's like one, one thousand, two, And people will say something just to break the silence most of the time. And it may not be like the biggest piece of feedback you ever got in your life. But whatever it is that they tell you, make sure that you listen to it with the intent to understand, not to respond. So again... Just whatever it is they said, even if you disagree vehemently with whatever they said, say just to make sure I understand, let me repeat back what I think I heard and say it in a reasonable way, not some kind of totally sarcastic demeaning way <laughs> uh, try to try to give their try to give fair voice to what they what they were trying to tell you, and you'll you'll be amazed at what you learn if you can just listen with the intent to understand not to respond but it also takes enormous emotional discipline because it's tempting it's really tempting to get defensive when someone criticizes you, especially a child yeah. and and it I mean it they, they kind of the kids say things, they haven't really learned how to modulate their criticism so they say things often in the harshest meanest possible way <laughs> and but but if they're if it's directed at you now is not the moment to teach them how to talk to you now is the moment to listen and and um, to try to get to the nub of what they're of what they're saying what they're criticizing you for
0: becky and i are both snowflake millennials, and we used to hate criticism. And we both <laughs> Becky does it as the signature for e- her email now, that very question, what could I do or stop doing that would make me easier to work with? And we know it's better to get that feedback in person. But I sent out an anonymous Google form to like 20 people I've worked with in this past month and asked because I want to get better. And I love that question in that sentence frame. So thanks for creating that for us.
2: Yeah, well, th- and don't forget the last step. On reacting to feedback because it's not enough not to get defensive you have to reward the candor Hmm. you have to make your listening tangible so if you agree with the feedback fix the problem and make it be very theatrical about how you fix the problem tell everybody you know so-and-so said they hate the you know chocolate the kind the brand of chocolate milk we have in the cafeteria and so I worked really hard and got a change or whatever it is. Uh, it, it is so important to show people that when they when they take the risk to give you an authority figure some feedback that you're gonna not just not punish them but that you're gonna reward them by fixing the problem if you disagree and sometimes of course it'll take a while to fix the problem so you want to you want to be uh, again theatrical about how you how you describe the interim steps you're taking and sometimes you're gonna disagree with the feedback and that's okay too you you certainly don't have to this is not a thank you, sir. May I have another kind of situation? What you want to do is you want to make sure that you take a moment to identify what is that 5% area of agreement. Whatever was said, you can probably find something in it that you agree with. And then say, as for the rest of this, I I want to go back and think about it. And then I want to get back to you. And then it's vital, of course, that you do, in fact, get back to them. And just offer a fuller, more detailed, very respectful explanation of why you disagree.
1: That's so important. And That's something I need to get so much better at. Um, so I, Kim, you mentioned coaching a lot in the book and even in our discussion just now, like either you as a coach for other people or you receiving feedback from a coach. Have you always had a coach? I think some people think about it, you know, just mostly in athletics and not really in their professional lives. But does coaching mean a lot to you and how have you used that to get better?
2: Coaching for me has been really helpful. If you're in any kind of leadership position, you're, you're kind of in a lonely situation because as a leader, you become sort of the projection screen for everyone's unresolved anxieties about authority. <laughs> and, and that's hard. And there's a lot of there's a lot of things that you can't talk to other people about for for reasons of confidentiality or or whatnot, and I always found it really important to have somebody. And usually, my spouse was sick of hearing about these, <laughs> uh, although although he's very patient and an excellent listener. Uh, but but. I, I always found it really helpful to have somebody to just talk through these issues with. Not, not a, it's different than having like a therapist. I, I always found it important. So if I was a teacher. I would want to have a coach who had also been a teacher. It's somebody who has has walked more than a mile, ideally, you know, more miles than you have in your shoes. Mm-hmm. And is a little further down the path and can give you can give you ways to think about it and uh, and and advice.
0: Well, you've been so generous with your time. So we're yeah. going to move to the rapid fire rapid fire questions. So these are the same questions we ask to every single guest. So we'll start with this first one. If you could have a billboard anywhere in the world that would get a message out to millions of people, what would be on your billboard and why? It could be a picture, could be a quote, could be a combination of a picture and a quote, but what would be on your billboard and why?
2: Right now, I would put my billboard in Congress Ooh. and and on the billboard would be the radical candor framework and and a request for each and every person in Congress to go have a radically candid conversation with someone with whom they disagree. Our political discourse has just become such a, it's in a terrible state of affairs right now. And I, I think a lot of it is that we've all retreated to our various corners and we're just yelling insults at each other. Hmm. Uh, or we're being silent. So we've sort of retreated to either obnoxious aggression or manipulative insincerity. And, and it's a disaster.
1: That's a good one. That would, that would help. That. I, 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 Often think we would all be so much better if we could just have honest conversations, and I, I love that you use the word candid instead of honest. I think that's beautiful. Uh, so, second question: In the past, you know, five or so years, the past couple of years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life, either personally, professionally, whatever it is?
2: The habit of uh, of getting good sleep Ugh. has been so important to me, and i i have I have. I always got good sleep until I had kids, and then everything sort of
1: until you had twins <laughs> yeah that's i that's insane I don't know how people do that
2: well, a lot of help uh, is uh, look, I'm happy to say I, but there's not enough help in the world you know you, it's, it's uh it's it's hard but it's also good great fun and but it but it was not good it was good for me in almost every way but it was not good for my sleep and I went uh, I did a four week cognitive behavioral therapy session at Stanford Sleep Clinic and they really helped me fix the problem. It was was remarkable.
1: So Kim before we let you go what feedback do you have for us?
2: I am I am just so happy that you all are doing what you're doing and I want to thank you for doing what you do. I I have long thought it's so unjust how the the way that the economy fails to recognize and reward teachers is one of the great injustices in our world and in fact i wrote a whole novel about it called the measurement problem it it was really it was really spurred from a moment when my sister who's a teacher uh what had to talk a child out of suicide Mm. And meanwhile I was making a bunch of PowerPoint slides
1: wow.
2: <laughs> for a you know, for a for a steel company and I was being paid like six times more than she was. And oh it's my goodness. so wrong. The work she was doing was so much more important. So I just want to thank you for the work that you and, and every teacher on the planet does. Well,
0: that means a lot to us. Thank you. So we have a lot of copies of your book available for teachers in our district in overdrive. I feel like you and I are best friends because I've probably listened to 20 hours of content via the audiobook and then actually your podcast as well. Uh, but where else can our listeners go to learn from you?
2: Uh, radicalcandor.com is, has a bunch of resources and uh, and I tweet stuff all the time, at Kim Ball Scott or at candor.
0: Well, thank you so, so, so much. You are amazing.
2: Thank you all and keep in touch.
1: All right, let's close up shop. Becky, what'd you learn from Kim? So many things. Uh, one of the things that sticks out right now is the idea of don't say, don't take it personally. Not saying that to people when you're giving feedback. Uh, it's sometimes a lot. Actually, a lot of times, my knee-jerk reaction when I'm giving someone feedback uh, that's extremely personal. And we'll link to a video that Kim Scott has on our website of how quickly this dialogue can kind of go down the wrong path and offend people in a way that you really never intended.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think. Um, one of the biggest takeaways that I had was around the, the dog story she had with it's not mean, it's clear. And I think of, I do a lot of some video work for the district and um, I had filmed a video that I was really proud of. And I sent it to a person I was r- whose opinion I really, really respect and was like, hey, what do you think of it? And the person wrote back um, some really clear feedback that was like, hey, when you use this 3D text, it makes it look like it was made in the 1990s. And, you know, here are some things you could fix. And I remember at first it like hurt my soul. And now I realize that it was the nicest thing that he could have done through giving me that feedback. And so I thought that um, was awesome. The other thing that really stepped out to me was just the the whole quadrant thing and the idea of rebranding my aversion to feedback. I used to call it people-pleasing, which was a good thing, but realizing that really it was showing ruinous empathy and that by doing that, I wasn't helping anyone, you know? Uh, And so I think that is some of the things that really jumped out to me, that I care personally And if you care personally, you give real feedback. Yeah,
1: that's huge. I want to add another thing, too. I just listened to that episode of the Science of Success podcast uh, that features Dr. Adam Grant, and he talks a lot in that episode. I'll link it in show notes uh, about how to get better at taking feedback. And he cites research that suggests that we're much better at taking feedback in one area when we've recently been praised in another area. So before you approach one technique or area of work where you're going to seek out critical feedback, like your video, try seeking out positive feedback or even giving yourself positive feedback feedback in an area that you know you've just been crushing it lately. Uh, I'll link that podcast to because there are so many notes like that that we can learn about taking feedback and getting better at receiving it as well as giving it.
0: For sure. And something to leave you with as we go is that I have certainly seen students take and use feedback a lot more gracefully than adults in my life. And I think generation that is coming up is more and more used to feedback. And so I just encourage us all to keep challenging students directly and empowering them to challenge each other directly because feedback is not a mean thing. It is not a four-letter word and it's something we all need to be doing a lot better. And on that note, we would love your feedback. A five-star rating on Apple Podcasts will help us inform, inspire, and connect even more teachers around the world. And if you have a longer form feedback, we would love if you could visit our website, brainwaves.com, where you'll find a button to a feedback form. And there we would just really appreciate if you could put guests you'd like to see on, questions you'd like to hear us ask, segments you would like us to add, because we do this for you. Thanks so much for being the best listeners and have a great week.
1: This was Rainwaves.